TELUS International Studios, where customer experience meets digital transformation. Welcome to TELUS International Studios, the podcast series where we meet the world's top companies and leaders in CX and deep dive into their customer experience, ethos and insights. My name is Patrick Hawhey and as regular listeners will know, most of the people I meet in this series are CX leads, operational leads and company founders who talk about their own particular approach to delighting their customers. But on today's episode, we're coming at customer experience from a slightly different angle and exploring how it can play a critical role in investments. To do so, I am joined by Andrew Steele from the leading venture capital and growth equity firm, Activant Capital. Andrew, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. I'm well, thank you, Patrick. Excited to be here. Well, listen, you better, you'd better start by telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Activant, just to set the scene. Absolutely. So, uh, pleasure to pleasure to meet you. Um, so, I, I grew up in Northern Ireland originally. Uh, moved over to the states to attend Harvard. Um, while I was there, really got sort of bitten by the entrepreneurial bug, as they say, and started trying to build companies. Um, spent some time in the education tech space. Was unfortunately a few, quite a few years too early. Um, if I'd maybe started it today, I'd be in, been in a better spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, had the ups and downs of building a company, raising some financing. And um, from there, I sort of spent some time thinking about areas that I'd really want to dive in on. And I was, uh, I was looking at product and tech, and then I met the Activant team quite early on. Um, we were still in fund one. And the model at Activant is really to to uh, write concentrated checks and then to be very active operationally with each portfolio company. So that active operational component was something that I was really looking for at the time. And um, I wasn't so sure that investment was what I was looking for. Um, turns out over the last four years, I've really enjoyed the investing side and that's where I spend most of my time. Um, but, uh, but that's kind of been my path, path to Activant. And uh, we, we actually just announced yesterday that we closed our third fund, which is really exciting. Wow, well, congratulations. Thank you. So it's been a really uh, busy, busy four years at Activant and, you know, the team's gone from three or four of us to 10 and um, we're doing some some interesting stuff. Well, I, I saw I was reading um, on the Activant website and, and a particular line caught my eye, which which really interested me. And it said just when the company was being described, it's it's that we're looking for the perfect storm that occurs when large markets are restricted by legacy platforms. Just tell us a bit about that. And what is that perfect storm? It's a great, great, uh, great line to identify. So I think for us, what, we, what we're looking for is fundamental areas where, where infrastructure and, and ideally software that sits underneath uh, different types of workflows has been, is, starting, is really starting to limit the way commerce can be conducted. So, you know, y- you can see this very obviously in retail where over the last five to six years, Amazon has gone from, you know, let's say a hundred billion in market cap to over a trillion. And the reason for that is not just that they, you know, they dominate the consumer experience, but it's also because their consumer experience is powered by an amazing commerce infrastructure that sits underneath. Um, and, and legacy retailers have, have had really woken, really had to wake up through a bucket of cold water to the head um, that the, the, their current infrastructure, the stuff that selling, selling online and selling offline can no longer be, be siloed. They have to be combined. They have to be able to understand the customer from end to end. And that that kind of the infrastructure that's required to meet those needs may seem simple but it's really really complex and it requires really uh, deep data models it requires heavy software and um, it requires software that's nimble and on the cloud and not not sort of on-premise stuff that that no longer can service those needs 
And, you know, retail is an obvious example. We've started to see really the impacts of that at the moment um, when supply chains have been have been constrained. And, um, you know, the, the current situation we're in is really not it's not it's unprecedented. Nobody saw it coming. And it's it's frankly horrible. And um, I don't think anyone wants to talk too much about the positives on that yet. But the, but one thing we are noticing is just that those companies that have really built their infrastructure to be nimble and to be able to react to situations like this are surviving a lot better. And, uh, and that, that's something we think we'll have to stick around if we're going to be able to continue servicing customers in a digital age. So that, that's, we're kind of thinking about it from some of those lenses, if that's helpful. It, it certainly is. And so just to come back to that whole thing about customer experience. So this is this is particular particularly high on your radar at the moment. So are you actively looking for investments um, or looking to invest in companies that have customer experience top of mind or they have it central to, to their, their mission? It, it is something we're really focused on. And I think, Patrick, what's interesting about investing in 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 the infrastructure space is that customer experience can be multidimensional. So on one hand, you see, you know, you, you as a company, let's take a random example. So a company like New Store in our portfolio, it's a backend software for retailers, right? It does what I just described, helps connect their data from online and offline. They need to provide an amazing customer experience to the retailers, especially today, right? Retailers are struggling already. They need to think about how do we, how do we navigate this, this whole cycle and their customer experience, new stores customer experience to the retailer is critical. But what's even more interesting to us and what's even more compelling is actually the increase in customer experience that can be derived from a retailer adopting new store. In other words, like if a retailer were to use a platform like it, what, what would that do to their end customer experience and to the end consumer buyer experience, right? Because that's really what we're thinking about when we think about sort of infrastructure plays customer experience is always top of mind because if you're going to really start to win and compete with the Amazons of the world or whoever it might be in your vertical, it really is going to stem down to customer experience. And if you look at this from a sort of numbers perspective, obviously one way to think about it is adoption and, and sales and all those good numbers. But the other one is churn, right? Like churn is, churn is a dead giveaway if you have, a, if you have per customer experience. Um, and that's something that we see across all types of software and it's something we focus quite a lot on. Before we move on, I just want to ask you a, a simple but also potentially a very difficult question. How do you define customer experience? If I asked you to could sum it up in a sentence or two, what is it to you? What is great customer experience to you? One thing that, that's really important about how we invest at Activent is that so we, we actually have 15-year fund lives. We can invest over very, very long time horizons. What does that mean? It means we can invest and hold for, you know, and sit on the board and be active for a long time. It also means that we're really active on building out theses that are really connected with how we see the world moving. So customer experience, you can, another way of looking at it is thinking, what do we expect customers to demand in the future, right? We've, we, we have leading indicators of that from other companies, from other sectors. So we can apply some of the learnings we've had in retail to the mortgage space um, where, you know, the, the, the actual process of purchasing a mortgage is much more complicated than purchasing a t-shirt. But at the same time, we know what customers want. We, we, have, we have an understanding of what they expect and what, what good customer experience looks like. So I think when we, when we look at investing across different sectors and industries, sometimes certain industries are more complicated, more, you know, they've been held back by legacy workflows. They're maybe B2B or there's some kind of 
there's some kind of reason for them to be behind what the retail world or what the consumer consumer is seeing. Um, but that's really the goal, the North Star. We're looking at those kind of examples and thinking, how can we see similar experiences been applied across other sectors? So customer experience for us is really, really how to, as an investor, how does the world evolve to meet the customer's expectations? And what are the customer expectations that we can understand and see today in other sectors? And, and even more crazy, like what are some of the expectations we, we might see that we haven't yet seen? So like one day delivery, let's say, or th- like five hour delivery in the city um, that we're starting to see with Amazon. Um, and that's, that's, those are the kind of things we're thinking about. Um, but it's, it's, a hard, it's an interesting question, Patrick, and it's one that is multidimensional on this side of the fence. And in fairness, you came up with an, an excellent answer on the, on the spot. So well done. <laughs> really, really interesting stuff. So let's pick into some of the companies that you work work with that you believe are really leading the way on this. Um, so let's start with maybe Phoenix. Sounds great. So Phoenix is a software um, infrastructure platform that helps other software companies become payments companies. Now, that's a lot of jargon. That's it can be hard to to uh, decipher, but essentially what's happened as we've moved on to, into more and more digital payments is that software platforms that provide a lot of value to their customer uh, have really grown and scaled, but have not achieved, um, have not been able to capture as much of the payment rents as you would expect. In addition, um, current payment infrastructure is, while significantly better than it used to be, is still limited in, in how it lets the customer um, move along a certain kind of purchase workflow. So as, as we were looking at this space, we, we have a number of companies in our portfolio that you know, are providing software to other businesses. And as we looked at those companies, we were seeing that they were making this tough decision about whether they should go and build uh, the entire payment stack in-house um, to sort of get off of legacy uh, payments companies that were taking a huge amount of money away from them every year or whether they should, um, well, well, there was no other or. It's like, should we build this in high and it's gonna, <laughs> and it's gonna cost us, it's gonna cost us millions of dollars and it's gonna cost us 15, 20 engineers a year, right? Like significant, amount, significant amounts of money just to own payments. And what we also saw was the companies that were able to do, like t- were actually able to execute on this and take payments in house, were capturing sometimes up to like 20, 30, 40% of their overall revenue in payments. So there's this huge volume of money that's flowing through the payment rails and flowing through the payments world. Like we're talking in the trillions of dollars that was just not being captured by some of the companies that were actually providing the value, right? So Phoenix is providing an infrastructure software. You can think of it a little bit like an Amazon Web Services where you as a development team will be able to use Phoenix to build um, a suite of payments infrastructure that suits your needs and is also allowing you to capture a lot more of the economics. Um, and why does that matter from a customer experience standpoint? Well, it allows you to build in very micro micro details into your payments flow. So if I know that Patrick always pays on time and he's one of the merchants that I work with in my platform, I could give Patrick a little bit more leeway in terms of when I let him pull money out of the system, right? Like when you disperse funds. Um, if I know that, uh, I don't know, John isn't, then... I might want to control that a little bit more. And I, at the end of the day, if I'm a software company and I have all this data on my merchant, I know them pretty well. So Phoenix is trying to let those companies own that, a lot more of that experience and ultimately use payments as just another way to improve the overall experience. 
and that gets to the heart of, of world-class customer experience it's it's that uh, personalization piece isn't it it is and i think that's what we're seeing right is that companies don't there's this always this hard trade-off in in software where on one hand you want to build and you want to personalize and this is this is the trap that a lot of big legacy companies get into right like they start building lots and lots of their own software that's customized to them but is really really not flexible and as soon as that person leaves or decides to move to another company who's built it it all falls apart nobody knows where to start right on the other side of things personalization of of legacy of, of infrastructure software is actually really mattering and it's starting we're starting to see a lot more depth that allows us to now control things like we just described so it's this interesting trade-off we're seeing is that you know you want to outsource your software development because you shouldn't own it in-house you want you want to outsource certain parts of your stack via API, but you don't want it to be so cookie cutter that you can't actually have it meet the needs of your customer. Well, really interesting company and doing very well. I know they've they've um, attracted some great investment uh, uh, recently. So um, another area that you are very um, uh, that you're very interested in is onboarding. So if you'd like to tell us a little bit about wh- what your thoughts are on the importance of onboarding and maybe a company that you believe is uh, delivering on this and, and making it a better experience. Yes, thanks, thanks, Patrick. So. One other thing that when you inve- so when you invest in enterprise software, um, one of the one of the key parts of any sales process is the onboarding process, right? Like, there are certain types of software that are self serve. You can get things up and running immediately. But in a lot of cases, when you work with a big customer, you actually have to help them get that software live, have it integrate into their other systems, have ensure that all the data that they are using today ports over, and that it's a seamless experience. And that's seamless experience point is the key one right like you have when the sales when the sales teams wrap up their sales process there is huge momentum there's enormous positive energy everybody's super excited about it but then then comes integration and onboarding (laughs) and everything seems to fall apart it's like oh no like first of all do you have to get buy-in amongst the organization that sometimes can take time but that's really not the big problem the big problem is the things can it can actually take anywhere from six months to 12 months to just even get stuff started and get it live and find the right stakeholders. And in reality, with a big organization, when you do a rollout, there are a lot of key stakeholders and they're moving. Sometimes they're off on leave. Sometimes they're, they're moving jobs or moving departments. And it's actually quite a challenge. So it's something that we've, we've noticed and identified across our portfolio companies. And as a key stat, I think that investors are really paying attention to now, especially during the current sort of market movements we're seeing is you want to go you want to know what bookings to actual billings what bookings to real revenue and cash in the door means and integrations and onboarding are the only ways to get actual billings um you know on your book and to ensure that 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 real cash is coming through the door at a time where startups need cash more than ever um so as we think as we've thought about this problem as a firm you know, we saw it across multiple software companies. We talked to lots and lots of other software companies. And uh, in the end, we ended up finding a, a founder and a founding team that were close to home, a group that we'd, we'd previously known, an exceptional team who uh, were some of the founders of a company called Behance, which sold to Adobe. Um, and 
the team, it's, so it's a company called Baton. They're actually still in stealth mode, Patrick. So another one of these uh, silly venture capital terms that we're hearing these days, but uh, <laughs> they, they're an absolutely exceptional team and we know them personally. And what they've been building is a, is a workflow software to help with this, this exact problem, the onboarding process. As we mentioned, it's, it's, not just, it's not just a money thing, right? Like it's not just getting billed next month. It's about the overall customer experience. As soon as you limit the momentum you've got, you, everything can fall apart. And when you actually think about churn and you think about upsell and you think about cross-sell and you think about all these like jargon terms that are used in, in SaaS today, it all starts from the very first day of, of it going live. If, if, if a third of the team end up using the software after month one, you can bet that there's gonna be churn right? It's not, it's not a, it, you might even want to take wagers on it. It's that obvious. And I think, I think it's one of those things where Baton in building a software like this is really engaging with so many of the key stakeholders that otherwise would just be siloed and not actually talking to each other and just ensuring that this process is seamless. And we're super excited to work with them. Um, you know, they're coming out of stealth mode at the moment and really starting to, to, to work with some big name customers. And it's a testament to sort of the team and their experience and and also just the problem, I think. So we're excited about that this, one. It's really, really interesting. And again, it's just finding the, the problem that hasn't been found before and just delivering on it. Um, I suppose at the, the times we're in, many of us are now working from home and we're probably dealing and using technology, using services like delivery and Amazon and all that, that we either rarely use or have never used before. Is this the kind of time when you start to see who's been swimming naked from a, a CX perspective, uh, if you know what I'm saying? That's with, a with the, perfect way to put yeah. it, yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so is this, is this when, is, is it this time, is this going to be an interesting time to see who really has customer experience top of mind and who can deliver when the pressure's on and, the, and, and things have ramped up? 100% agree. It's a, it's, a, it's a fascinating and frightening time. I think we're... We're, we're looking at it from both our portfolios perspective and also just as we look at new investment areas and, and, and see, what, see what's really out there. But, but you're spot on. There's been a lot of cases where, where large companies had really delayed a digitization and a digital sort of transformation in their business because it, you know, it, was, it felt like a nice to have. It didn't feel like a dire need. And you know, brick and mortar was working great. And we still are big believers in brick and mortar retail, right? When, when things rebound, I think it's still, it's one of your channels. It's perhaps even your biggest channel in certain areas, but there are lots of examples that we've seen of more of markets that have really just to your point, been swimming naked. Companies have really been exposed now where they just are not able to meet demand and they're not able to service customers in the way they want. I think Patrick, one thing, one had, had sort of been thinking about when you're talking is, is mortgages. Um, again, we are just full disclosure, an investor in a, in a, in a company in New York called Better Mortgage. And um, it's one of the companies that has really sort of highlighted this problem for us where um, a lot of the legacy mortgage providers, while they've been, while they do huge volume and they've provided really good experiences to a lot of customers over a long period of time, um, they, they still use very, very old backend systems that really don't talk to each other. And this is a recurring theme that you probably heard me, me say a lot. So sorry for uh, repeating myself. No, it's, it's really important. Yeah, but that's a, it's, a, it's a core thing. Yeah, but again, it's like applying to not just retail, but to like mortgage markets and stuff like that, where in mortgages, what's happened in the last, in the last month has been um, a massive drop in rates by the Fed 
uh, the interest rates, and that's led to a surge in demand for refinancings, right? Because I think it's roughly, I can't give you an exact number, but somewhere in the region of 20 million Americans are in the, in the money for refinancing today. They could, they could save hundreds to potentially thousands of dollars a month on their mortgage at a time where people really, really need that money. And when folks today go to, the, to, go to get a refinancing done, normally you know, there would be a massive amount of mortgage providers that are able to service them in the timeline they want or to get it, get it completed. But what's actually happened is that because, from, because of work from home, because of the breakdown of so many of the systems in, in legacy systems in the office, whether it be paper-based forms or whether it be any other kind of you know, old school software, that ha really has not lended itself well to a world in which we're working from home where digital end-to-end -end solutions are required, where there's no going into a branch anymore and talking to someone, where you know, being able to, to check out quickly matters because there's such a huge demand. And that's where Better has really, really been able to step up and help and has, has been doing a great job recently. It's just because they are truly digital end-to-end, -end, they, they go everywhere from originating a loan to actually selling that loan away and like and and uh partnering with partnering with the the folks who buy loans in the back end and it's allowed them to control each piece of this process and have teams that are truly digital and truly remote so that they can respond and react and you know i think it's an area that you know i talked a little bit about the interest rates and like what happened with the fed but like what really made this stand out to me was actually that interest rates on refinancings actually peaked again they went up even the, even though the rates from the Fed went down, and that was just because, just as a highlight of the capacity constraints that we're seeing in mortgages today, where when 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 we're in this world where everything needs to be digital, a lot of the folks that previously were digital just cannot. Our previously um, were offering huge volumes of mortgages just cannot do it at the same scale. So you know, it's a market that we're keeping a close eye on. Rates obviously may not stay this way forever, but at the same time, it's uh, it's a testament. I think in my mind, at least, that when things do return to normal, normal will not look like it used to look like. It won't be the case where, as we talked about before, Patrick, where you can, you can just switch back to thinking that it's okay to not be digital anymore, right? I don't think customers are going to, ex going to accept that kind, of, that kind of experience. And I think that's really, what, that's really uh, what we're seeing across some interesting spaces like mortgages. It really is. One of my final questions, you've mentioned a few companies there that you've worked closely with, Better Mortgages, Baton, Phoenix, um, and, and many, many more that you haven't talked about. In terms of, of those companies that you believe are visionary and, you know, have uh, have potential enough um, for success to invest your, your money in, um, it, can have you seen anything that they all share in common? You know, is there one thing, one or two things that they all share? Is that, you know, a, a vision a, a vision that really sort of uh, uh, rings through or uh, spotting a problem but delivering on solving that problem too or the type of leadership they have? Is there anything that would jump to mind? Great question. Uh, I think the first one and the one that you'll hear from every investor you speak to is the founding team. The, you, you know, the, the founders of each of those companies have unique experiences that have brought them to where to the problem they're building around and have also been problems that resonate so clearly with folks in the industry and folks on their teams that they get up and they work 12, 14, 16 hour days just to get closer to solving that problem. So I think that's one thing. It's just the, the funding team always matters. And 
you know, we, we spend a lot of time operationally with our company. So it's, it's something that we really get, we really do get to know the founders really well. And I personally have a massive amount of respect for them having, you know, tr really tried to build companies in the past and understand how difficult it is. So it's, it's something that, you know, it's, that's, that's a key part. I think the second part, Patrick, and it's, I mean, this is, this is, I've kind of said this a lot today already, but we focus on the infrastructure layer first. So what does that mean? It really means you could, you could tackle a lot of industries. You could tackle mortgages, you could tackle retail, you could tackle delivery, you could tackle agriculture. It doesn't really matter. Um, what matters is that the, the backend software or hardware, or whatever you're using is actually really going to be, be set up to scale as that company grows and is really the kind of software or hardware that can power the next generation of that industry. Our approach is kind of to start there, understand that, and then there will be lots of different ways that you can apply that. So Better actually has both a B2B business and a B2C business, right? Um, most of our companies are purely selling to other businesses, but Better has this ability to then also sell to the consumer, and that's actually where they got their start, um, which is interesting. But again, it stems back to this, this infrastructure layer. So I think that's, that's kind of the common theme that we see, is that we look for businesses you know, despite the industry, despite whatever thesis we're building around that industry that have this core infrastructure. And finally, your your job is to sort of look into the future. You've got your finger on the pulse of, of what's coming next. Um, and particularly around customer experience, we've seen so much change so quickly in the last number of years. Do you think that pace of change is going to continue or have we reached out some kind of a, a, a plateau? I think it's about to accelerate, truly. Wow. wow. Because really? if, you, if you think about it, we used to feel like there were always lots and lots and lots of options. So like if we were frustrated with the fact that Citibank or Bank of America or Chase wouldn't pick up the phone quick enough, you go outside of your apartment. And again, this is in New York, but you go outside of your apartment and you go to a branch and then, or whatever it is. There's a lot of different channels to try to get in front of, front of someone to try to resolve your problem. Today, if they don't have a phenomenal banking app with a really exceptional messaging platform that can actually be contextualized and pull information from the past and make sure that I'm not like having to repeat myself a thousand times like that that is that's what matters today right we only have one way of getting in touch with them maybe we will call them but at the same time like we're we're all cooped up everybody's frustrated everybody's Everybody wants to get outside, right? <laughs> like this is New York at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, but I think that we're just seeing that like customer experience now is where you're gonna win and lose in the long run. And that those are companies that have been able to just excel there, whether it's on the little things like working with their, their, own, their own customers to say like, you know, it's, whether it's this month that we need to, we know everybody's hurting, like we're, we're doing our best to like, you know, work through this together to to actually providing great great technology whatever it might be like those are the those are the things that are going to win in the long run and you know there will be a lot of companies that will hurt and a lot of companies will not make it through this um and it's it's terrible and it's frightening but the ones that do and the ones that have been built around that kind of mantra that kind of philosophy will will be the ones that truly succeed in the long run uh, really enjoyed chatting with you, Andrew, and there's some genuinely fascinating insights into into where we're at around customer experience right now. So, uh, Andrew Steele from Active and Capital, thank you very, very much for giving us your time today and continued success um, with Active and Capital and your many investments. Thank you, Patrick. I look forward to hopefully meeting up when I'm back back home at some point. 100%. Listen, take care, Andrew. Thank you. 
And of course, thanks to you for tuning in. We will be back with a new episode very shortly. If you like what you hear, please make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button so that you do not miss an episode. And if you'd like to find out more about TELUS International and the global and disruptive brands with whom we work, check out telusinternational.com. We'll see you next time. This is TELUS International Studios.